First, I wanted to thank everybody, uh, so many of you who have extended your, your uh, condolences and your love and your support through cards, through texts, through flowers, visits, and a whole lot of food. Boy, huh, honey? We just really want to thank you. It's been a rough couple of weeks, but, you know, as Pastor Willie said and prayed, one of the beautiful things is, is that I get to come and testify to you today the power of God and faith and how he carries us through the most difficult times of our lives. And so thank you again from the bottom of our heart. It's good for us to know that we're not alone in this and that we have the love of this family. Uh, secondly, I also want to just mention, because it, it's worth mentioning, is that uh, Ruth uh, had something to do with this message. She, uh, she reached out to me in one of our spontaneous moments and thoughts and said, um, this is war. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was on vacation. And she said, I was in prayer and I've been reading and, and the Lord led me to this. And she said, I think this would be such a great idea for a Sunday service. And I know it's been preached on, but hear me out. And I said, well, send me all your notes. You know, I'd love to read them. And so I'd like to say that we collaborated on this a little bit. And, uh, and so I thank her for her inspiration and her obedience to the Holy Spirit because she always is and uh, love them as dearly the boy is. So I'm going to be preaching out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And, um, you know, I, I just want to sort of, before I get going, there's a quote that I've shared quite often, and uh, it's attributed to C.S. Lewis, but it really wasn't him. He was just sort of repeating it as well. And, and the quote is, is, you do not have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. And, and not to get too deep into the theology behind this, but in essence, what he's saying is, is that, you know, before our flesh is our spirit, right? The, the, the primary focus for us, those of us who are alive in Christ, you know, our soul care is important, how we treat our souls. And, and what I find is, is there's two camps, you know, and, and we usually fall in one of two. And, and, you know, again, hear me out. But there's, uh, there's one camp that sort of over-spiritualizes everything, right? Where are my crazy over-spiritualized people? All right, Billy Jean, thank you for being proud of it. And then there's people who don't necessarily spiritualize things enough. And, and so somewhere in the middle is, is where we probably should be. Uh, and, of course, there are moments when we should lean right or left. But my point is is that I think we misunderstand or are oblivious to a lot of the times what's actually really happening on a spiritual level. And my hope is, is that through this sermon, through this message, that we'll sort of consider some things and learn some things and come to a greater understanding. But I've heard it said that when a, a police officer is sworn in, the minute he puts on that badge he has instant enemies, right? The moment you become a police officer, right, John, there are people who are immediately going to hate you because you're a cop. And when a person accepts Christ as his savior, he crosses over from the realm of darkness into the realm of light. He enters into this immediate spiritual war that includes demons and angels battling over the souls of men. And there's a lot we cannot see in the supernatural, just not able at this point. And so, just like a police officer, we have these sworn enemies who are pursuing us and hating us and want to derail us and see us fail. And if we don't live in awareness of that, then we automatically, we've already lost, right? Sadly, many Christians live without any real awareness of this battle, and because of this, they're losing spiritual battles over and over again. And a lot of times, it's the same ones that have us pinned down. We call them strongholds, right? It's maybe a, a prevalent or prominent sin in our lives that we've struggled with for decades even. And we're like, why do I keep coming back here? And it's because a lot of times, and I'll get into this more, it's because we're trying to fight spiritual battles in the flesh with carnal weapons. And so, who loves an underdog story? 
Who loves a good underdog story, right? We see these stories in a lot of our favorite movies, don't we? Uh, what these stories all have in common is that it's an individual or a group of people who commit themselves to fight what seems to be this unwinnable battle, whatever that may be, you know? Um, I was a huge fan of Rocky when I was younger. Anyone else? Yeah, good. I'm not alone. Except for Rocky V, right? Yeah. Terrible, terrible. We'll, we all forget that one. It's just the lost episode, we'll call it. In every movie, right, Rocky faces a fierce opponent, right? Bigger and stronger than him. In preparation for these fights, Rocky would go into these like grueling training montages, right? Where, where he would punish himself and push himself to his physical limits. And he would get into this peak physical shape to take on these opponents, right? And I remember when he lost to Clubber Lang in Rocky III. Was anyone else a little heartbroken? Yeah, I, I might have cried. I'm not going to lie. He went up against not only a stronger and tougher opponent, but also someone who was hungrier than he was for victory. Right? He had lost, as Apollo Creed puts it, the eye of the tiger. And no, I'm not going to sing it for you. I promise. But I can do the, the riff. Dunk. Took a dunk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he had lost his edge. He had lost his hunger to fight. Right? That desperation he once had. When you, when you see his life at that point, they make it a point to show you he's in the pool, he's playing with his dog. You know, he, his life was cushy. He was wealthy. As the champ, he, you know, he had, he had attained all this fame and he had a ton of luxuries. Right? And all the winning had paid off, and in that, he had lost the de desperation that had once driven him. Boy, these movies used to make me think I was invincible. Anyone else? <laughs> I'd be ready to take on the world after a Sunday afternoon Rocky Marathon. You know? In hindsight, though, it was more than just a movie about a, a boxer who beat the odds. There, there were great lessons embedded in each of the sequels, you know? I think I see, a, I see a lot of similarities to the Christian life in those movies now as I look at them and think about them. See, when we first come to Jesus, we're desperate and hungry for him. We're desperate. We're hungry. We're broken. We have nothing, Right? And he gives us everything. And we're these underdogs. We're tired of this life and this world beating the hell out of us. And, I, and, and I'm sorry, I don't know if it's okay to say that from the pulpit. But that's the reality, isn't it? Shot after shot, up against the ropes. And we've realized how weak and vulnerable we are, that we need something more than strength, the strength we possess to overcome the foes we face these formidable opponents. See, sin has its deep hooks in us, and when we come alive in Christ, we realize that it's a spiritual deficiency that keeps us on the losing side of these battles time and time again. You know, just a, a side thought here, you know, and Pastor Brian says it all the time. He says, God answers every single one of our prayers, excuse me, <clears throat> and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, every time I see someone healed or delivered or rescued or transformed, it's because of Jesus. It's because they met Jesus. It's because Jesus came into their lives. It's because they put their faith in Jesus. And so, yeah, we can pray, hey, remove this. Hey, change that. Hey, don't do this. Hey, God, protect us from that. Sure. But ultimately, the answer to everything is abide in Jesus. And when we do, it changes everything. It changes everything. See, in these early stages of Christianity, a lot like Rocky in his first two movies, we fight from a place of desperation and passion. Right? We found our strength now, and we realize that in order to win the battles that life throws at us, we just need to use the spiritual weapons that God has provided us. Right? We worship more deeply. 
We pray in a puddle of tears sometimes. We're excited to read and to hear the word preached. We have this newfound trust and faith in God and his will for our lives. And when we're in this place, we feel confident and almost unfazed by anything that life can throw at us. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Then what happens? And what happens? We get comfortable. We get complacent. Right? Kind of like Rocky sitting back in his pool in his mansion there, right? The honeymoon phase ends, and we start to allow our emotions and our intellect to dictate more and more about how we handle and respond to things. And don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you to shut off your brains, and we have emotions for a reason, but those things are not what are supposed to lead us, right? We stop fighting our battles from a spiritual perspective and we revert back to fighting our fights in the flesh emotionally and intellectually and then these wars start to overcome us. Over and over again we see this. As pastors, when we counsel people, our main goal is to lead people back into the arms of Jesus Christ. Whenever they fall off, whenever they're broken, whenever their marriages are falling apart, if we can lead people back into the arms of Jesus, then we see healing. He can do what we can't. And so Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes this. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Our bodies, our carnal nature are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other. So to keep you from doing the things that you want. The things you ought to be doing. The flesh gets in the way. And so Paul goes on in, in Romans 7. He says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. He says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability in my flesh to carry it out. Anyone relate to Paul there? Who's been through a war lately? Or, or who's going through one right now? Raise your hand. Going through a battle. Right? Is it overwhelming? Has, has it brought you to a place where you, you feel like, I just can't do this? Or, or like, this is just too much for me? Have you gotten there yet? Good. But I'm going to tell you something. Be careful in that place because the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. And so when you get into that place, if you revert back to your, your carnal nature, if you start responding and reacting in the flesh, then the devil's got you. He's got your ear. And he is a liar. In John chapter 8, 444, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. Right? He is a liar, the father of lies. Turn to someone next to you and say, The devil is a liar. Good. See, we can't expect victory if we engage the enemy on his level. You can't. He'll beat you every time. We need to use these powerful divine weapons that God has provided us and defeat him in the spiritual realms and stop allowing him to drag us into a carnal battle with him. Time and time again when we lose, it's because we've engaged him or we've engaged our sin on a carnal level. It's just behavioral modification. It's not the surrender or faith that's carrying or leading us. We're not in the spirit. What we're doing is, is we're just trying to change behavior on our own. How does that work out for you? How has that, right? We end up right back, hamsters on the wheel, right? Paul states in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, he says, Though we live in the world, pay attention, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And then he goes on to say, On the contrary, 
they have, our weapons, have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power to demolish the strongholds in our lives. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then we take captive every thought, everything that goes through our mind, and we make it obedient to Christ. He's given us that. Church, we are in a war. This is war. What happened was, is when you were awakened spiritually, you were, you were brought into this war unknowingly because unwittingly you were already a, a casualty of that war. And God brought you to life. God's grace brought you to life. And now he's given you the opportunity to win this battle. And he has given you every option, every possible weapon and we just have to use them. And so this war, it rages on daily. All day, every day, for the rest of our lives. Good news, right? <laughs> but if we don't fight with these divine weapons we have access, then we're going to lose every time, church. It's not about whether or not we're in the war. It's whether or not we'll fight the war. And so the devil, remember this, is stronger than us. He's wiser than us and better than us when it comes to this type of carnal warfare. And if we allow him to drag us down to his level, he's going to beat us every single time. So Paul addresses this really well in Ephesians chapter 6, and that's, like I said, where I'm going to explore today. But, but let's first pray together, and let's just ask the Lord to guide us through this conversation. Let's guide us through this message so that we might receive and learn and grow here. During this time, Father, we come before you knowing that you hear us, that the veil has been torn, that Jesus intercedes for us. And so, Lord, we come in his name and we ask you to illuminate your word today. Bring us to a place of greater understanding. Bring us to a place where we not only know more, but we can live this out, where we can apply this, and that we can win time and time again against the attacks of the enemies, the evil forces of this world. Father, help us now. Help us to be more like Jesus. Help us so that we can win these battles, not just for ourselves, but for you, Lord, and for the souls who are lost out there who need to know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read just the first three verses uh, of this portion of Scripture, just Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 right now. And it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Right? He doesn't, it doesn't say, Paul doesn't start off saying, Finally, be strong in your own strength. You know, don't, don't, don't think that you can do this on your own. There's an implication here, right? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Think about this for a second. Paul's saying kind of the same thing, but he's going on a little further here, and he's reminding us, your, your, your battle is not against flesh and blood. And if you spend, if the, de if the devil can get you to think that, or if you, can if, if you can stay trapped in that fleshly mindset, that carnal mindset, what's going to happen is, is you're going to lose. You're going to beat yourself. You're going to spend all your time failing with the same things over and over again. Whether it's addiction, whether it's mental health struggles, Right, all these things, what's going to happen is, is you're going to find yourself right back at the beginning because you're trying to fix this in a carnal mindset with carnal philosophy. So hear this. First and foremost, we have to know our enemy and his strategies. Right? In order to defeat any, any enemy, we must acknowledge that they exist and then learn their tactics. Right? 
All you veterans who stood up, I'm sure you can attest to this better than I can. But if, if we're going to fight a battle, if we're going to fight a war, we need to know who our enemy is, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and then equip ourselves and train accordingly. Okay? Make sense? There's a, a quote from a movie that I'm sure many of you have heard. It's actually uh, the man in the movie, Kaiser Soze, says it, but it's attributed to a man named Charles Boudier. But the, it, he says this, he says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist, right? Usual suspects, anybody seen it? I won't tell, don't worry. But, he, but that's his greatest trick, convincing the world, I'm not real, don't worry about me, right? I have no impact, I have no influence, you just keep living. This is all nonsense, this spiritual stuff. Right? And we can't defeat an enemy we don't know. We can't defeat an enemy if we don't acknowledge the fact that he exists and he's attacking us and wants us dead. Right? Paul reminds us in these first few verses that our battles are not against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual forces of evil. You know, and I think what happens a lot of the time is we sort of just tune that out. You know? We forget that he's this roaring lion, prowling, looking to devour his prey. I mean, that's a pretty distinct and descriptive way of looking at him, that he's constantly looking to devour us. And so if he can get us to believe that he's not real, then he can get us with our guard down, with our defenses down. And then we become low-hanging fruit. Then we become easy prey for that prowling, roaring lion. Amen? See, what I do want to do is I also want to, to, to point this out. And I think it's important because this happens far too often in the church. But there is a difference between spiritual warfare and personal sin. Okay? This is why I said at the beginning, sometimes we over-spiritualize things and we don't take enough responsibility for like there are some, there's a carnal existence here and there's obedience and righteousness that, and then there's other times we don't but there's a difference between spiritual warfare and personal sin, right? The enemy, as I said, is this prowling, prowling lion and he's a main opponent of the church but I guess I'd like to say he gets blamed far more than he should for our sin. He's not that powerful. We need to stop excusing our sin by accusing Satan. Because that's what I think happens time and time again. I think what we do is, is we keep doing the same things over and over and over again, and then we blame the enemy. Guess what? If you're living in iniquity, if you're living in sin, and you're not surrendering that sin or slaying that sin, you know what ends up happening? You're, you become less of a threat to the kingdom of evil. And the devil doesn't even bother with you. You're no threat to him if you're living in the flesh. You're no threat to him if you're constantly reverting back to your sin. He's got you. He's worried about the one who's pursuing righteousness. He's worried about the one who's pursuing Jesus. He's worried about the one who's leading other people to Jesus. He's worried about the one who's witnessing He's worried about those people who are all in for Jesus. Those are the ones that get his attention. Those are the ones that the armies of darkness are after. If you're just sitting back in the flesh and fighting these carnal battles and living in this carnal nature, guess what? You've already lost. Get up and fight. John MacArthur says this, he says, winning against Satan is not a question of claiming some kind of imagined authority over him. Now think about this. Winning against Satan is not a question of claiming some kind of imagined authority over him. We simply need to pursue righteousness, avoid sin, and stand firm in the truth, he says. We're, we're, it's like we want this shortcut. God gives us all these weapons. He, Paul talks about our armor. He gives us all of these divine tools. And what we do is, is we stand up and we make proclamations. In the name of Jesus, I bind you, Satan. I rebuke you, Satan. 
But we don't have that authority. Did you know that? Only God does. The reality is, is if we're binding up Satan every Sunday, then someone better tell him it's not working because he keeps getting out. He'll be bound in his final day. We know how this story ends. But my point is, is that our job is to pursue righteousness. We we don't want to take the hard road. Our job is to pursue truth. Our job is to stand firm in that truth. And a lot of times, like I said, we just want a silver bullet. This is hard. This is hard. The devil is real. Hell is real. And so if we don't live in light of that and acknowledge that just as much as we acknowledge Jesus and God and worship, then we're in trouble. You know, one of the biggest problems that I find, you know, is is that we spend so much time, far too much time at our pulpits. And I'm just saying we, the church, the American church, and I'm not bashing the bride. That's not what I'm doing here. But we spend far too much time trying to inspire people and getting them to come back next Sunday than we do reminding them of the truth. And the truth is this, is that without Jesus, without the blood of Christ, without that cross, we're done. We're all destined for hell. Sin is a curse. It's a mass infection, as our Tuesday morning group talks about, thanks to Michaela. I like that descriptive word. It's a mass infection. And he's the solve. And so... The Bible, as I said, doesn't give Christians the authority to rebuke the devil, but to resist him. Not to rebuke, not to bind, but to resist. John 4, 7 says it. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's our job. It's to push closer to Jesus. It's to press in. Oh no, the attacks are coming. Don't just start yelling. Stop praying. Stop worshiping. Press into Jesus. Get in his word. And watch the devil leave. He wants nothing to do with it. And so that brings me to my point, is that we're all, we're, we're all given everything we need to win. Every single one of us are given the tools and the weapons to be victorious in this war. So I'm going to read verses 13 through 20 now and just go back to what Paul's saying here. He says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the evil day. And having done everything, and pay attention to this phrase, these two words, stand firm. And then he starts the next verse with that. He says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded up your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. In other words, it's not just about you and your battle, it's about our battle, and so we're supposed to go to war together, right? Praying for each other, praying for one another, and the, the devil loves nothing more than to divide, and that's how he conquers and so our job is to, is to remember the relationships, the God-given, the God-ordained relationships that God has put in our lives and remember that we're together. And every time that it's either sin or the enemy getting between us, we've allowed victory. He says, and then pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the bold, with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to. Now, how can you not love Paul? He's writing this from prison, right? I mean, he's he's more concerned with equipping the churches and asking for, for God's grace and courage and prayers so that he can continue to be an ambassador no matter where he is, no matter what's going on in his life. It's not about finding this comfortable place for ministry for him. 
Oh, this is where I'm called, and I feel like this. Guess what? Sometimes you're called to the gutter. Sometimes God puts you in a heck, I'll say heck this time, of a situation because that's where he needs you. That's where he wants you. That's your ministry. And we should just be ready and prepared for these spiritual battles as they arise, these spiritual hardships as they arise. And that only happens. We can't be reactive to these things. We have to be proactive. We've got to be in the word. We've got to be reading and praying and coming together and worshiping together. Otherwise, you've already slimmed slimmed your chances of victory. So, as I've said, if we're going to win these spiritual battles, then we're going to need to use, excuse me, the proper weapons. And before I break these weapons down, I just want you to take note of the word, as I said, of the words, stand firm at the end of verse 13 and beginning of 14. What's Paul saying here, right? What is it that he's saying? So if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, right, in verse 13, he says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. What Paul's saying is this, you've got to be brave. You've got to stand firm. You've got to be strong in his strength, of course. But you can't shrink back because the world is going to come at you. Life is going to be tough. There's going to be terrible moments. You know, I was just talking to someone after the first service, and, you know, they they were expressing their condolences, and they had been through a really awful tragedy a few years ago in losing their son. You know, it was a tragic accident. And, and you know, he, he came up to me, he says, you know, he says it's, it's expected in this life. He's like, you know, we all want everyone to live forever. We all want everything to happen in the order that we feel is best. But he goes, but the reality is, is it's not always that way. And, and I said in response to that, I said, that's right, this isn't heaven, so we can't expect it to be. It's going to be imperfect. There's going to be loss and tragedy. But if we can be courageous, right? I I preached on that, you know, courage, dear heart, not too long ago, and I shared that I have this bracelet that says courage, dear heart, on it because ministry and this faith walk will take you to places that are way beyond you. Way beyond you. I have experienced it over the last two weeks. You know, there were moments where I had to stand up and represent my, my wife and her family and as they were grieving something horrific. And just be present and be supportive. And it was way beyond me. Because I just wanted to cry. And I realized I have a job to do as a husband, as a son, as a friend, as a minister, as a pastor. And, and you know, God carried me. He did. That's my testimony. Is that all these spiritual weapons that I'm talking about today, all these things that I'm saying, it works. It's real. That, you know, in the old days when I was just living in the flesh, I could have never done or navigated this portion of my life. Not the right way. I would have ended up in a bar room or worse. And today, I can just fall to my knees. I can dive into the word. I can look to Jesus for strength, and I can pray. So before we can even take up this armor, we, we, before we can even engage in this battle, we need to stand. Stand firm. And spiritual strength and courage are vital when it comes to engaging in spiritual warfare. See, this means we're to be strong in the Lord, as I said. Not in our strength, but in His. See, God provides not only the weapons and the armor, but also the strength and the courage to fight these battles. Now think about that. He gives us everything we need, and yet we still try to do things on our own. He's like, you know, here's how you win, right? No, I'm going to try it my way. And that happens over and over again in our lives. We do it almost inadvertently sometimes, or it's a default subconsciously. But God's saying, when this comes, when these battles happen, I've got the secret. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he writes, our natural courage is perfect cowardice, and our natural strength is perfect weakness. He thanks. Right? But in our flesh, that carnal courage, it's perfect cowardice when it comes to this stuff. Bigger than us. Our strength is nothing. It's no match. So the other thing I wanted to point out is, is, 
in this portion of scripture is that we're called to take up the whole armor. The whole armor, Paul says. See, the implication here is, is that we have access to it, but it's up to us as to whether or not we'll actually utilize it. It's there for the taking. But we have this choice. And the whole armor, it implies that we can't just pick up or pick and choose or take up whatever we're comfortable with, right? Whatever comes easy to us. You know, whether it's the shield of faith, right? Well, you know, or, or you know, the word. Like some of us have different strengths and we say, well, this is where I'm comfortable. This is where I'm going to fight my battles. And you know what the enemy does? The enemy looks for the chink in your armor. And he says, well, that's where you're exposed. So while you think you're winning on this end, I'm going to attack you here. He says, if you don't take up the whole armor, you're leaving yourself exposed. And the enemy who uses thousands of strategies to defeat us will win. He'll find those chinks in the armor. That's exactly what he aims for. So what is this whole armor, right? What is this whole armor of God? I like Paul's illustrative explanation as it it describes something the people in Ephesus would have been familiar with, a Roman soldier, right? They knew what these soldiers wore. They knew what they wore and carried into battle. So he uses each part of their armor and equipment as representation of the spiritual weapons we possess and need to equip ourselves with. And we, we possess more than, than six weapons, and Paul's list here isn't exhaustive, and, and obviously, you know, the, the diagram isn't either. But for the sake of time, let's look at these main things. And the first thing he says, he says, gird yourself up. Gird your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Truth and righteousness. Right? Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Here's here's the thing. Our righteousness or our good deeds are filthy rags apart from Christ says we can do nothing in John 15 apart from him. Paul's saying that in light of the gospel, right, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, in light of all this great news that you are now in him, saved, have his power and grace in your life, you need to now be transformed by this new information. You need to allow God to work in and through you because you cannot become righteous on your own. It's just not possible. In Romans 8, you know, he points out that he's working all things out for good. And then he goes on to say what that good is. It's to become like Jesus. To become righteous. Right? He's telling us that we're new creations who've become the righteousness of God through Jesus. But now we have to live as such. You know, a lot of times what happens is we think, okay, good, now I've got Jesus, I'm saved, and we, we, we do the church thing on Sunday, and we compartmentalize our Christianity. And what happens is, is now I'm an, I'm an employee, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a friend, and I'm a Christian. And these are the different hats I wear. And what God, what Jesus is saying, what God is saying through his word, what Paul is telling us is, is no, the Christian hat covers all. That helmet of salvation is always to be on our heads. That no matter what role we're in, whether we're at work, at play, at home, whatever we're doing, we are Christians. And the word Christian is just a description. It's not a title. It's a description of people who've committed themselves to becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you have to ask yourself, as a Christian, have I committed myself to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have I committed myself to learning and following and living his ways? That's what the call is. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not a label. It's a lifestyle. It encompasses everything. It it covers and laces through everything we do and what we are. We can't check out from it. Oh, wait, I'm in a fight with my spouse. I'm going to hang up my Christian hat for a second and say what I need to say. It's not how this works. 
somebody cut me off in traffic, oh, I'm going to hang up my Christian hat for a second because my middle finger is not Christian. Right? That's not how this works. Righteousness is, a, is, is one of our greatest weapons that we possess because the righteous man is not easily swayed by the enemy. When he advances on you and you're living an upright, righteous life, when you're pursuing Jesus, guess what happens? Nothing. Because you've committed to righteousness. And his foolish attempts to bring you out of that, to, to drive you or tempt you to sin, are not going to work. And then he says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And, and, and so to break that down further, what he's saying in, in the New Living Translation or the NLT, if you have that version, it says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Put on the peace that comes from the gospel, the knowledge of the gospel. Put on that peace so that way when the attacks come, you're not all riled up, Right? When the spiritual battle rages, it's important that we maintain that peace that surpasses understanding because otherwise we'd crumble. This peace only comes from God. It's supernatural, and I've witnessed it over the last couple of weeks in my family. It's hard, but it's really easy for us to divert or revert back to the flesh, isn't it? Have you ever seen somebody going through hell who's just got perfect peace about them? That's from God. That's how people identify us a lot of the time. Something different. Why is it that this tragedy isn't rattling their cage? Why is it that it's not shaking the foundation of their life? because they have peace that comes from God. They know how big their God is. That's the gospel of peace. And then he says, in addition, take up the shield of faith, which you'll be able to extinguish the fiery or flaming arrows or darts of the enemy, depending on your translation. Right? Each piece of armor, if you think about it, protects a specific part of the body. But the shield is able to cover all. That wasn't too athletic, was it? No Captain America. <laughs> but each piece, like I said, has this specific place, but the shield, the faith, the shield of faith covers all. Right? right? And so we know it's faith that saves us, right? But we, we also have to remember it's what sustains and protects us too. Right? The enemy is going to try to convince us that God's promises aren't true. Right? He's going to try to sprinkle some doubt in there. He, and with faith, we can stand firm and trust those promises. Right? The darts may fly, but with faith, we're able to deflect them. We, we walk by faith, not by sight, the word says. Not what we can see, but what we hope and know, our blessed assurance that we just sang about. The Bible says we can move mountains with faith just the size of a mustard seed because faith is powerful. Faith gives hope. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I talked about that at the funeral on Wednesday. I said, you know, there's two ways for us to grieve here. We can grieve without hope or we can grieve with hope. And thankfully, I know my mother-in-law knew Jesus. And so I can grieve with hope because I know where she is. I know who's got her. I'm grieving, I'm hurting, my wife's hurting, her family's hurting, but guess what? She's not. And so I grieve with hope. I have hope because I have faith. And faith, it covers over everything. That's my shield. And then he goes on to say, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Salvation, spirit, the word of God. You know, when a soldier suited up for battle, the helmet was the last piece of armor to go on. It was the final act of readiness in preparation for combat. See, the assurance of salvation is our impenetrable defense against anything the enemy throws at us. 
because we know we're his. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God. Right? See, if God, the one who can destroy all, is for us, then who can be against us? That's what we do, is we walk in these promises, the word of God, the spirit of God, shoring that up in our hearts, reminding us of these truths and our salvation, because it's those of us who are saved who have the spirit in us, and he carries us in these moments. And that's why we need to make sure. You know, if you think about this for a second, if we don't put on all this armor, right? I mean, think about a battle's raging on and the soldier gets called in and he says, all right, let's go, it's time to fight. And he comes out and he's barefoot with no helmet on, forgot his sword. You're gonna be like, what's this clown gonna do? The enemy's gonna look at him first and be like, done. That was athletic too. Done. Right? And so it's the same for us. The enemy's just looking at you going, going to need more than that. Done. And so he goes on, Paul goes on, and he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Perseverance perseverance, right? James chapter one, verse 12, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. When we stand firm, when we persevere in faith, we will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up, we will reap all the promises of God. And so keep going is what Paul is saying. Don't give up. If we're fighting to win, then quitting is not an option. If we're fighting to win then quitting is not an option. It's easy to go on when the fight isn't tough. But when things get really hard, that's when we have to press in, church. That's when we can't quit. And then, obviously, this all encompasses prayer, as he's saying, to persevere and petition for all the saints and for him. He goes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then this peace of God, which transcends and surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? Instead of us worrying about stuff, pray. Give it to God. Go to him with your worry. Stop speculating. Stop projecting. Stop thinking, what if, what if, what if, what if? What does that do for us? But when we go to him in prayer, when we, when we pray ceaselessly, as the word says in Thessalonians, right? Paul says, pray without ceasing. He doesn't mean, you know, to just throw yourself on the floor all day long. He doesn't mean to go live in a monastery somewhere in the woods. What he's saying is, is to walk in communion with God all day long. That's what Christians do. We're called to walk with God, to listen, to hear that still small voice. If you're not in prayer, you'll miss it. If you're not in conversation with God, and sometimes that means just shutting up. Everybody here knows how to have a conversation, right? You talk and listen. Some of you, I'm just kidding. None of you here. But my point is it's the same way with God. You'd be surprised what he puts on your heart in the midst of a trial, whether it be scripture, a song comes on the radio, somebody speaks life into your situation. Hey, can I pray for you? 
The Spirit intercedes. He speaks to us in our conscience, in our conscience, excuse me. And so if we're not listening, if we're not praying ceaselessly, then we miss it. We talked about the supernatural peace that God provides, but it doesn't just happen. Right? We need to exercise our ability to communicate with God through prayer because there is power in prayer, church. It not only changes circumstances, it changes us. It changes us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We need to maintain a battle-ready mindset. A battle-ready mindset at all times. We're Christian soldiers. That's who we're called to be. See, God, since the beginning of time, excuse me, the devil has been trying to derail God's plan. But you know what, church? We know how this ends. The book of Revelation tells us that we're on the winning side. That we are already promised victory. Revelations 12, verse 11 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. And, and there's a song, I think Jeremy Camp sings it, and he only sings two-thirds of the verse. I'm going I'm to read the whole verse because the last verse is just as important as the first two. It says, We will overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving this life so much that we shrink back from death. It's great. You know, we, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony God's giving us, given us. Right? You're saved. You're mine. You got me. But he also says that by not loving this so, life so much, not holding on to this life so tightly that we shrink back or fear the death that is inevitably coming to us all. That if we live for the gospel, if we live in the spirit, those things won't matter so much. See, a battle mindset knows this life is temporary and that eternal life is the priority. So we don't allow threats to this life to steal us away from the hope and assurance of eternal life. We fight from a place of victory, church, not defeat. And friends, we're under attack. The enemy, the ruler of this world, he doesn't want us to walk in faith and righteousness. He wants to steal our hope and cripple us with fear. He wants to distract us and tempt us and confuse us. He wants to occupy our time with meaningless or harmful things. We can't continue to fight these spiritual battles through carnal means because our flesh is just too weak. So let's rise up. Let's take up the whole armor of God so we can defeat the evil one and show the world what true victory and freedom look like. Amen? Church, let's stand up. We're at war, but we're promised victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus. So let's sing in victory today. Amen.